0: You're listening to audio from Praxis Church, Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you are interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Today our reading comes from James 1, 12-18. It says, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures this is the word of the lord
1: well good morning it is uh, a joy to be able to worship together and uh, this morning we will be in james uh, chapter one which has already been read for us but if you have a bible Feel free to turn there. If you have one of our James books, uh, feel free to open that to take some notes. If you don't have a James book, if you didn't get one on your way in, uh, we should have some just out in the foyer. Um, So if you want to grab one of those, feel free to go out and grab one of those. And as that happens, uh, I will just say a short word of prayer myself. Father, you are good and gracious and everything that is good, Lord, comes from you. We praise you that we can know you, that by your spirit you open eyes and warm hearts to know you and love you. And Lord, as we spend a few minutes in your word this morning, we pray with the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts. Be pleasing and honoring to you, O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, our modern world is, is tr- telling us a lie. Whether you turn on the TV, watch a movie, if you are in conversation with friends, family, even if you're just left to your own thoughts, the odds are this lie has come up before. The desires of your heart are good as long as you don't hurt anyone else. We see this idea in, uh, when it comes to sex, money, power, in all sorts of different, different ways. But often it, it comes from within. You know, surely if I feel this way, surely if I have this desire, it must be good. It must be from God. It must be right. Now I think scripture, I think our, our text today in James will actually be a, a, a pushback against that idea. But before we get to James, I want to give a little bit of context from a couple passages in the Old Testament. Uh, Jeremiah 19 says, The heart is deceitful above all else. Oh, sorry. Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things. Genesis 6, written by Moses, as he's telling us the the creation of the the world and uh, the fall into sin, Moses writes these words. Every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all the time. Every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all the time. That's all it was. Wickedness. Our heart's desires and temptations are not the good things our world would like us to think they are. Our hearts, desires, and temptations are not the good thing they've been made out to be. And our text in James will tell us, I think, this one big idea. The one idea is that we need to be tenacious against temptation. We are being called to be tenacious against temptation. And we're going to break this, this phrase, being tenacious against temptation, into two parts. The first will be, you know, be tenacious. The second will be against temptation, pretty straightforward. And then I've got a third one that I'm going to add on at the end, but I'm not going to tell it to you now, so it'll be a surprise later on, okay? Just a little cliffhanger. There is more to come, but here's the first two parts. Uh, The first one, be tenacious in James 1, verse 12. James writes these words. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It's one verse, I'll read it again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. James is, is pretty straightforward here. He says, "Those who endure and triumph over trials will be blessed. Those who endure and triumph over trials will be blessed. We use the, the language of blessing uh, pretty frivolously in our society. On social media, you know, the, the hashtag blessed, it, it's kind of become a, a joke that people say. We use the, the idea of being blessed pretty frivolously, but semantically and biblically, what we're talking about when we talk about blessing is, uh, is happiness. Happy is the one who endures through trials. Happy is a semantic summary of this idea. Happiness. And how does one become happy? How does one become blessed? According to James, this comes from enduring and persevering. It comes from tenacity. Steadfastness. Continuing to fight. Continuing to push. And the psalmist in Psalm 1 helps us understand what it looks like to be a blessed person. In Psalm 1, the psalmist writes this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, he says, will perish. So, whether it's Psalm 1 or James 1, the happy one, the blessed person, is the one who tenaciously clings to the promises, laws, precepts, and words of God. To be blessed is to hold fast to the truth of God revealed in Scripture. To be blessed is to not reject that which God has revealed about himself in the Bible, but is to hold fast and stand firm in the midst of whatever comes. Tenacity towards God as revealed in Scripture is what James is calling us to. And why are they happy? Why are these people happy? Those who cling to Scripture and God as revealed in Scripture. Well, James says it's because God is the source of all that's good. That comes later in verse 18 of James 1. That God is the source of all that is good. His word brings life. And he gives good gifts to those who stand firm to the end. Now this is a bit of, I think, of a bit of a countercultural idea. The world around us, conversations, friends, TV, all of those things want to sell us that the, the way to lead a happy life is to give in to all of the temptation of your, of, that is going on around you. It's to give in. It's to enjoy those things that are tempting you and pulling you. The world around us wants us to to give in and and accept that we can't fight anyways. Just take it all in. Soak it all in. Accept it all. But Scripture is calling us to something else. It's not calling us to just let it all come in and give in to every whim and desire of our hearts, but it is calling us to stand firm to the truths of God in Scripture. And those who do, James tells us, will receive a reward the reward in James 1 uh, verse 12 is that he who remains steadfast will receive the crown of life the one who remains steadfast James says will receive salvation and that seems to make sense those who stand firm to the end will receive the prize A marathon runner who abandons a marathon halfway through does not win the prize. A farmer who abandons a field halfway through does not reap a harvest. A Christian who does not persevere to the end in faith does not receive the crown that God has promised to those who stand firm. And the Christian life, I think, is marked by three Ps. I'm gonna tell us two of them Uh, so that we can get to the third one. The, The Christian life, I think, is marked by three P's. And those three, the first one is profession. The first mark of a Christian is a profession. In Romans 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Christian life is marked by a profession of faith in the person and works of Jesus Christ. Being a good person isn't enough. Doing good things isn't enough. One needs to profess faith in Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only one who can bring us into the eternal rest that is promised in Scripture. The second mark after a profession is a practice. A, a, A professed faith that isn't a practiced faith is a pointless faith. Or, to use the words of James a little later on, faith without works is dead. A true profession will always be followed by good works in response to the grace of God in our life. The works don't save us. If you've been with us all, all summer, you'll have heard Josh preach on this idea a number of times. The works don't save us, but the works are a result of our profession, are a result of the work of God in our life. And in John, uh, 1 John 5, John writes, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, that we obey him, that we, we follow what he has written down. This is what it looks like to be a Christian, to obey what God has revealed to us in Scripture. Evidence of a true profession is given in the outworking of that profession. It's a practiced faith. And if you come back next week, The text is about being not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. If you come back in three or four weeks, the text is about uh, not only uh, having faith, but having works that accompany that faith. This is all throughout James, this idea. But saying a prayer and making a profession as a child who lives the rest of their days pursuing worldly passions is not sufficient if you said a prayer when you were three and then you continued to pursue whatever it was, whatever desire of your heart for the rest of your days and never repented of your sins, there isn't a lot of hope for the end. A profession is proven by a practice. And the profession and practice are shown and given evidence of and and proven to be true when they persevere to the end. The third P of the Christian life is perseverance. The idea of persevering to the end of the race is an idea that's throughout Scripture. It's all over the place. Uh, Jesus talks about it. He does a parable of the soils. Paul, writing to Timothy, talks about this. Uh, in, in Revelation, John, who recorded Revelation, is, is writing the words of, of Jesus to him. And in Revelation 2, verse 10... John writes, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Stand firm. Persevere. Be tenacious. Just a chapter later, Revelation 3, verse 11 again, says, I am coming soon, this is Jesus, I am coming soon, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast, stand firm, persevere, do not give in, fight, win the race, receive the prize. The crown is for those who endure until the end stand firm O christian and be tenacious but james is going to go on and tell us in a specific situation he's going to go on to tell us a specific situation in which we ought to be tenacious when we often give in a situation in which we we are are more often than not prone to not standing firm in that situation and our second point is against temptation we need to be tenacious persevering, standing firm against the temptations of our life and the temptations in the world around us. In James 1, verses uh, 13 to 15, James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted. I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire." Then desire, when it has conceived birth, when it it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. According to James, there are two types of temptation there are are temptations and trials outside of us, trials and temptations from without. This is what what James was talking about in verses 2 through 11. He's talking about the situations of our life. These are temptations from without. And we kind of miss the nuance because our modern translation will use use trial and temptation different to distinguish. But in the the original manuscripts, you can see a lot more similarity because they use the same root word. They're talking about two types of temptation, temptations from outside of us and temptations from inside of us. Temptations from outside of us, if you were here last week, James gives a couple examples. One example being riches, and one example being poorness. Our financial situation can be a temptation for us to sin. It can lead us into trials where God is testing us to to prove our faith. If we have too much, we might think we don't need God. and If we have too little, we might curse God and wish we had more. So God tests his people with these things outside of us, these situations outside of us. But our outward trials pave the way for sinful desire. The things that happen outside of us pave the way for for sinful desire within, within us, inside of us. And I've heard a lot of people say something isn't sin unless it's been acted upon. I was talking to a friend in Abbotsford this week as I was, I was telling him about preaching on this text. And he, he, was, he was telling me, something's not a sin unless you act on it. And I said, well, it seems like James is saying otherwise here. And in addition to, to James, in First Peter, uh, Peter says in First Peter 2 verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Or differently, abstain from sinful desire. There are temptations from without and there are temptations from within. There are temptations in the situations and trials of our life and there are temptations that that arise from the wickedness of our own souls. And James wants to be clear here. God is not the author of our sin. We can't blame God for this. We can't pin it all on him. He is not the one moving us towards sin. Rather, we've inherited sin and guilt from our forefathers, passed down by generation to generation, from the the first humans created by God, Adam and Eve, who fell into sin, who rejected God and thought they knew better. From then on, through the generations, sin and wickedness has been passed down and pierces the heart of each one of us. We cannot pass off blame for our sin onto anyone else, especially God. Satan doesn't need any extra help. He doesn't need God's help to bring us to sin. He's already got a great accomplice. And that accomplice lies in the chest of every man, woman, and child who has ever breathed. That accomplice is our own sinful, fallen, wicked, deceitful self. Our own hearts, affections, and desires are working against us. We are totally depraved. We are totally fallen. None of us can do good on our own. Rather, we are lured and enticed by our own desire, James tells us. In verse 14. On this topic, uh, John Calvin, or a guy in the Reformation, says, It seems, however, improper and not according to the usage of Scripture to restrict the word sin to outward works, as though indeed desire itself were not a sin, and as though corrupt desire remaining closed up and within and suppressed were not so many sins. We're deceiving ourselves if we think just because we have these These sinful thoughts and desires that it isn't actually sin. I'm not living in sin, we might say. I'm not committing adultery. But in the quiet moments when I'm at home by myself and there's no one else around and I've got nothing else to do, where do my thoughts go? What do my desires reveal about me in that moment? I'm only lusting after every other person I see. I'm not living in sin, we might say. I'm not committing homosexual acts. But I desire these same sex, sexual relationships which Scripture calls an abomination. I'm not living in sin, we might say. I'm not murdering anyone. But sometimes I just wish harm would befall someone who I don't like so much. I'm not murdering, though. What do our desires, what do our thoughts reveal about us? In line with Jeremiah and Moses before him, I believe the answer is that we are wicked throughout, deceitful above all else, and our intentions and thoughts of our hearts were only evil all the time. We cannot pin this on God. We harbor sinful desires that may never surface, and our actions in those moments are sinful nonetheless. John Owen, uh, I've got a, a few quotes by him. There's one that will come up on the screen in a moment, but before that, he says, the desire to sin is to act in sin. He goes on to say, there is a world of sin conceived in the wombs of the wills and hearts of men that are never brought forth within each of us, within every person. He goes on in a a bit of a longer quote in in this great book he wrote called Overcoming Sin and Temptation in the 1600s, and he says, when such a temptation comes from without, it is unto the soul an indifferent thing, neither good or evil, unless it's consented unto. You know, if if we're in situations and we don't consent to those, those situations outside of us, that's not a sinful thing. It's a sinful thing when we consent to those situations outside of us. But John Owen goes on to say, the very proposal from within, it being the soul's own act, is its sin. And this is the work of the law of sin. It is restlessly and continually raising up and proposing innumerable various forms and appearances of evil in this or that kind, indeed in every kind that the nature of a man is capable to exercise corruption in. Every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all the time. Moses tells us, or as James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted, and he tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. In the 1800s, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, I believe his name was, wrote the book Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and in this story, that he wrote, there's the character, Dr. Jekyll, who as you read the book, you you come to learn, is himself Mr. Hyde. He's this, you know, brilliant doctor and scientist who has these these moments where he transforms into a monster. And every day, the monster within him grows and grows and grows until he can't contain it anymore. This is the reality of sin in our lives. We are, are are marred by sin, darkened by the the world around us. And day by day when we give in, and we give in it might just be a little bit. But day by day we give in a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And eventually Dr. Jekyll dies. And Mr. Hyde is all that's left. Temptation from outside of ourselves, the situations and circumstances of our life aren't sinful in and of themselves, yet our disordered desire in the midst of trials and temptations gives rise to sin. We are enticed by lustful desire. And you might be thinking to yourself, great, what then do I do? If all that I can do is wicked, If everything that comes from my heart is evil, if my desires are sinful, then how do I live? If I'm deceitful above all else, wicked to the core, and bent towards sin and sinful desires, what hope is left? Where do we go from here? Do we just give up, call it quits, give in to every whim of our heart? Throw up our hands and say there's no point in fighting anymore. James and the rest of the witness of Scripture tells us this firm truth: that no matter how deep we've gone, no matter how far we've gone, in Christ, victory is guaranteed. In Christ, victory is guaranteed. In James chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. James writes these words Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Do not be deceived, O Christian, either by the lie that sin and temptation is from God himself or by the lie that the world is trying to tell us that our sin and and desires are good in, uh, in and of themselves. Don't be deceived. God is faithful to his people, and he gives good gifts to those who call upon him for help. God gives good gifts to those who call upon him for help, and we have hope. Because even though we are sinful, even though we are marred, even though that we are, we are darkened and wicked, even though we are in a dire situation and we can't put to death our sins because our inclinations are only ever sinful, we have hope because we are not alone. We can't do it on our own. Left to our own devices, we are wicked all the way through. I am wicked all the way through. But praise be to God, in Scripture, we have a greater hope. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, the author of Hebrews writes this Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a great high priest. We can't do this on our own, and that's okay because we aren't alone. We can't do this on our own, and that's okay because Jesus has done it for us. In fact, we can't do anything at all. We're dead. Dead people don't do things. But Jesus, the the King, the, the second member of the Trinity, the eternal God himself, has come and bore our sin on himself that we might stand firm amidst temptation and trials. We can't do it, but praise God, we are not alone. We have hope because there's one who's gone before us, who's taken all of our sin upon himself, who has stood firm amidst trials of various kinds and did it all without sin. And we live in a bit of an awkward middle space here where Jesus has conquered sin and death 2,000 years ago, and now we await the day when Christ will return and usher in his eternal kingdom without sin and pain and mourning. But in this awkward middle time, in these awkward middle days, we will still be We still need to fight. In these awkward middle times, we are called to be killing sin or sin will be killing us, to use the words of John Owen again. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. But until the day of Christ, until the day he returns, we find ourselves time and time and time again falling and failing and giving in to sinful temptations of our flesh, but we are not alone. God in Christ, as he ascends to the heavens and sits down at the right hand of the Father, sends a helper to come down and dwell within us. God isn't some far-off being. He he wasn't here and then gone, but he came and he, he went and he sent his spirit to dwell inside each one of us. And the Spirit of God now dwells inside of us. And in Romans 8, we are given this word. In Romans 8, verse 13, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit who dwells inside of you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We are not alone The spirit dwells inside and gives us power and empowers us to fight the sin and temptation of our life. We are not resigned to a life of defeat. We are not resigned to a life of abandoning all hope and throwing up our hands and saying, whatever happens, happens. Rather, we've been given the power and ability to fight and put to death the desires of our flesh and put to death the the deceitfulness of our heart through the Spirit of God who dwells inside of us. And a Christian is marked not by denying sin or accepting sin, but by killing sin. A Christian is is marked by by mortification, putting to death the sins of our life, putting to death that which brings death. James tells us in our text that, that our sinful desire leads to sin, which leads to death. And if we continue, if we persist, we will die in our sins. But praise be to God, who by his spirit dwells inside of us and empowers us to conquer over that which will bring death. We can put to death the things that bring death. But part of the problem, I think, is that we actually sometimes like some of our sins and temptations, the allurements, the enticement of our desire. Augustine in the 4th century famously wrote these words, God, give me chastity, but not yet. God, help me to stand firm, but maybe just give me one more day, one more week, one more year. You know, God, I will really be committed to you if, if I can just... Give in to my desires for another year. Just one more time. Just one more sinful thought and desire. The problem is it's never just one more. If we're not putting it to death, it will become a day-by-day-by-day fight. But the Spirit of God empowers us So that we can be tenacious against temptation. And for those who are in Christ, victory is guaranteed. God does not abandon his people. He does not give up on his people. If you profess faith in in Christ, your victory is assured. You have hope. This is not all that there is. There is something better yet to come. There is glory yet to come. And if you're not a Christian, I urge you, the only way to be freed from the shackles of death, the only way to be given true freedom is by looking to Christ who bore your sins. You can give in today, you can give in tomorrow, you can give in the day after that, but you are now a slave to your desires. True freedom and true freedom alone comes through Christ. Look to Christ, and God is faithful to forgive all the sins of those who cry out to him for salvation. Are you trapped in a cycle of shame and sin? Look to Jesus. Are you struggling to overcome a habitual sin in your life? Look to Jesus. Find the root of that sin and dig it out, but look to Jesus. Are you regularly sinning and have no feelings of remorse that your conscience is so seared that it doesn't even recognize it anymore? Cry out to God and he is faithful to forgive you. He is faithful to forgive us of all of our sins. He is faithful and just and he will do it because he has paid out the, 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 the punishment we deserve on Jesus himself. We are marred by sin including our desire but God's grace is And mercy, by God's grace and mercy, he transforms the hearts and desires of his people to conform them to the image of his son, who is tempted in every way like we are, except without sin. Our sinful desire can, by God's grace and indwelling spirit, be transformed. Our disordered desire can be reordered towards proper ends of loving God and our neighbor's. That which was once sinful can be redeemed and be be good. That which was once distorted can become clear and proper again. Our disordered love can turn into properly ordered love toward God and neighbor. And by God's grace, through faith in the Son, and by the power of the Spirit who lives within us, He is faithful and He will do this. Because God never changes. He is always and forevermore will be the same. And we can rest assured that in him, through the work of Christ, victory comes to those who stand firm amidst various trials of many kinds. So stand firm, O Christian. Repent and believe if you don't believe already. And salvation, the reward, is guaranteed for you too. The band's gonna come up, and as they do that, I'm gonna just pose two questions to us, which I forgot to make a slide for, okay? So I'm just I'm gonna, I'm, this is on me, okay? Don't look back there, it's on me. But here's the two questions I, I think are worthwhile for all of us to think about this week Do you have any sinful desire that you've neglected to kill or given up fighting? Do you have any sinful desire that you've neglected to kill or given up fighting? Maybe you thought, you know, this one's just too big. I won't be able to to fight this one anyways. I won't be able to win anyways. What would it look like for you to fight again? What would it look like to wage war again against the sinful desires of our flesh?